0: This morning, we want to look, if we might, together, at Psalms 8 through 14. Um, so please, if you would, turn to Psalm 8. Let me read just a few verses, the first six verses of Psalm 8, and then two verses from Psalm 9. And they offer us a sort of startling contrast uh, and prepare us, I believe for what we find in this portion of the Psalter, this 8th through 14th Psalm. David writes in Psalm 8, verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth! You have set Your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and infants. You have established strength because of Your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at Your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. And you have put all things under his feet. Psalm 9, verse 13. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my afflictions from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. Let's pray together. Father, as we prepare to come to this your holy table, and as we come as a nation to the celebration of our independence father i pray that you would speak to us from your holy word and that you would find our worship pleasing and acceptable in your sight and that we might know the blessing of your presence encourage us strengthen us challenge us build us up in that holy faith once delivered unto the saints We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 236 years ago this Wednesday, members of the First Continental Congress declared our nation's independence. How many of them were truly followers of Christ? I don't know. But the evidence would certainly suggest that most believe that if our nation was to endure... Its people must be governed by moral precepts and, more specifically, the teachings of Christ. One of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, John Witherspoon, Presbyterian pastor and president of Princeton University, urged his people to believe in and obey their one true king. Not George III, but Jesus the Christ. For 236 years, many have paid a terrible price to protect and defend our nation's freedom. And since the moment of mankind's rebellion against their Creator and Lord, many of those who have chosen to serve the one true king, have done so by fighting the good fight and keeping the faith, and have suffered for it, have suffered persecution, some even to the point of death. Here in Psalm 8, and I hope you open your Bibles to these uh, these uh, seven psalms, Psalms 8 through 14, Here in Psalm 8, verses 1 and 3, David is celebrating our Creator and Lord's majesty and glory. And then look down at verses 4 and 5. In verses 4 and 5, he reminds us that we are earthlings, that we were created a little lower than the heavenly beings. But then secondly, he also reminds us that we are sons of God men and women whom He has crowned with His glory and honor, and to whom He has given the privilege and the responsibility of exercising dominion over His creation in His name and for His glory. Now what's interesting about the language of Psalm 8 particularly is that Jesus, fully God and fully man, is described in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament Jesus is described using the language and the thoughts of Psalm 8 in Hebrews 2 7 Jesus is pictured as being crowned with glory and honor all things under his feet and in Hebrews 1 in verse 3 Jesus fully God We are told that He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and the very one who upholds the universe by the word of His power. Psalm 9, verses 7 and 11, we're told that the one we serve, our Lord, that He is enthroned forever as King of Zion, not just King over all creation, but in particular, King of His covenant people. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9, of Psalm 9. David speaks of God's wonderful deeds. For example, in light of the Old Testament context, God delivered His people out of Egypt, and He brought them into the Promised Land. Now, in the New Testament Scriptures, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul builds upon that Exodus motif to speak of our deliverance, to speak of how by grace through faith in Jesus as Savior, Lord, and King, we are delivered from the dominion of darkness, and we are brought to live in the kingdom of our God. But now, as we've read, note... Look at verse 13 of Psalm 9. Psalm 9 verse 13. There is an enemy. There is an enemy who afflicts and hates us. There is an enemy who afflicts and hates us. But notice also there in Psalm 9, in verses 13 and 14, notice that even as we are told of this enemy, we are assured, assured, that God will never allow the gates of death to overcome the gates of the daughter of Zion. That is the gates of His kingdom in which we now dwell. Look at Psalm 10 and Psalm 10 verse 3. This is what we're told about our enemy. We're told that our enemies pursue their own desires and they renounce our king and they go so far. Look at verse 4. They go so far as to declare there is no God. Sounds very contemporary, doesn't it? They go so far as to declare there is no God, and then look at verse 11 and verse 13. And because there is no God, at least according to them, they assume that they will never be held accountable for their words and for their deeds. But then again, David, in Psalm 10, verses 16 through 18, again he assures us, Our Lord is King forever and ever, and He will defend His people, and He will judge those who oppose and deny Him. But here's what I love about the Psalms. I love the truthfulness of the Psalms, the the human emotion of the Psalms. Go back to verse 1. Look look at verse 1 of Psalm 10. Because David tells us, and we all know that it is true that sometimes it just seems as if the Lord is standing far away hiding himself from us in times of trouble. At times we can feel like wounded soldiers awaiting reinforcements wondering if they will ever come Psalm 11, verse 3, asks the question. Psalm 11, verse 3, asks the question. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Throughout our history, as well as this moment in time, The enemy constantly bombards the walls of God's kingdom, and at times it can seem as if almost the gates of death will soon overwhelm the gates of Zion. As a nation, we wrestle with how best to fight enemies who boast that they will destroy us as God's people. We struggle to know how to fight the lies that threaten to undermine the very foundations of this nation that we love. Perhaps the most glaring example of the enemy's success is seen in our culture's acceptance as being normal. Various forms of sexual immorality. We are told repeatedly that sexual relations, be they heterosexual or homosexual, that sexual relations outside the bonds of matrimony are private matters between consulting adults, and we are assured repeatedly that they in no way threaten the very foundations of our society. Our young people are encouraged by the internet, by TV shows, by movies, by songs, by books. And God forgive us at times by example. To believe that sexual relations in whatever form they take are just doing what comes naturally. The guidelines of Scripture are judged archaic and restrictive. And so few believe, so few believe, so few believe or understand that God's law was given to set us free so that we might live the best of all possible lives. But Satan's minions roar! And the foundations shake. And we find ourselves wondering what we can do. Well, what we can do is live boldly for our King. Trust in His good promises. Remain faithful and loyal to His divine purposes. And know that the gates of death will never... Never overcome the gates of Zion. Look at, chapter, look at Psalm 11 verse 4. David reminds us the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. And our King promises, promises that He will in and through us and by the power of the Holy Spirit He will build His church and the gates of hell will never overcome it. And now look at Psalm 12. In Psalm 12, David prays and wonders aloud why those who renounce the Lord reject His Word. Why it so often appears that they are prospering and perhaps even winning. Look at the end of Psalm 12, verse 4. Look at the end of verse 4. Is this not the enemy's taunt? Listen to these words. Who is master over us? David knows the answer to that question. And he testifies in verse 6. He says, it is the word of the Lord that is pure. And that will come from the furnace like silver, purified seven times. But then look at Psalm 13. <laughs> I just love the 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 the, the, uh, the flow back and forth of this altar, the Psalter, the honesty with which uh, we uh, the human emotion is expressed. Look at Psalm 13. And four times in the first two verses, what does David do? Four times in the first two verses of Psalm 13, David cries out, How long? How long? How long? How long? Surely none of you have ever asked that question. How long? Then, in verses 5 and 6, David says, this is what I will do. I will trust in the Lord's steadfast love. I will rejoice in God's salvation. And I will remember how bountifully he has dealt with me. As David reflects upon all of these truths, he states rather bluntly, at the beginning of Psalm 14, that only the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Look at the end of Psalm 14. Psalm 14 ends with this prayer. Oh, that salvation... God's deliverance, if you will, God's final and perfect rescue of his people. Oh, that salvation would come out of Zion. Well, this morning, we come to celebrate the answer to David's prayer. It was out of Zion that Jesus was led to Mount Calvary. And there, taking our sins upon Himself, He suffered and died to pay the penalty for our transgressions. What a strange moment in time. As He dies... As he dies, if you don't know the end from the beginning, as he dies, it it might appear as if Satan has won. As he dies, it might appear that the gates of the wicked have finally overcome the gates of Zion. But in truth, because by God's grace we know the end from the beginning, in truth, Calvary is the moment of Satan's defeat. Jesus fully God dies in our place. And being fully man, I'm sorry, He dies in our place. And being fully God, He does not die for His own sins. He does not die as a sinner. He dies as the sin bearer. He dies perfectly just, but He dies to justify. Those who by grace through faith embrace Him as their Savior and Lord and King. Jesus overcame so we might be overcomers. And as overcomers, as overcomers, as those who overcome in His strength, and to the glory and praise of His holy name. As overcomers, He works in and through us to draw all manner of men and women and boys and girls to Himself. In and through us, He is ever expanding the walls of His kingdom. (laughs) And the Scripture even tells us that one day, all the kingdoms of this world will be the kingdom of our God our nation's declaration of independence ends with these words and for the support of this declaration and with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence we mutually pledge to each other our lives our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Many have paid a terrible price to preserve our nation, and for them we are grateful. But let us remember now at this moment as we approach this table that it was our commander-in-chief. It was our king, Jesus, who paid willingly the most terrible price? You can hear the horror of that moment in his cry from the cross My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He suffered as the innocent, spotless, priceless. Lamb of God, sinless, and yet the sin-bearer, so that for a moment in time the Father turned away from the Son. And all of that so that by grace through faith, we might now be freed from sin's curse and power and freed to live as citizens of His kingdom. As members of his royal family. Listen to me. (laughs) Who is the psalmist celebrating? He is celebrating the one who is our creator, who is our redeemer, who is our Lord, who is our king. And it is to him that we pledge. Our lives, our fortunes, and his sacred honor. No one, simply read history, no one can say how long our nation will endure, but the kingdom of God will endure forever. It is from everlasting to everlasting. Jesus is king forever and forever and forevermore. And by His grace and through His strength, if we are His subjects and He is our king, if we are His sons and daughters and He is the head of our family, if we are His church and He is our king, then we will strive to live as faithful citizens of His kingdom. Confident, confident, confident that in and through us He will win the battle. Knowing, look at the end of Psalm 14, knowing as David writes at the end of Psalm 14 that the day will come when the Lord restores the fortunes of His people, and we, the true Israel of God, will rejoice and be glad. Because this is the unbreakable promise of our eternal King. I will build my church and the gates of the wicked Will never, never overcome the gates of Zion. Let's pray. Father, bring us to this table with rejoicing. May we remember, O God, who this one is that dies on this cross. May we remember that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that He is our Creator, our Redeemer, our Savior, our friend, that He is the one who sovereignly rules over us, that He is the one who by grace through faith delivers us from the dominion of darkness and brings us into the kingdom of the Son whom He loves. As we eat this bread, as we drink this cup, may we rejoice in what the Lord has done. And as we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, O God, may we pledge to You our lives, our fortunes, and Your sacred honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.